Merry Christmas, church. Welcome to Christmas Eve worship. Aren't you grateful for what God is doing in individual lives through Mission Hill Church? I'm excited because right now, at this very moment, our church is worshiping in three different locations, in addition to those that are joining us online. So would you welcome those who are worshiping with us today? I want to begin with a question, and it's a pretty simple one. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Let's shout it out on the count of three. One, two, three. I didn't understand you, but I asked that question at a family dinner earlier this week, and there were a lot of different answers. Some said Elf. Anybody else? Elf is your favorite movie. Others said Santa Claus the movie, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the original version, or The Grinch, or A Christmas Carol. I said Die Hard. Don't judge. But I think my real answer really would be White Christmas or probably actually Home Alone. <laughs> what happened next was really interesting because one of my sons, who was such a good thinker, he, he began to share that he thought all Christmas mu movies really are, are kind of remakes of the great Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. And then someone around the table said, explain. And so he began to explain, and this is what he said. There's always a problem. There's a character that is kind of separated from everybody else, either because of moral choices in their life or maybe physical separation. But then something significant happens. It transpires, and by the end, everything works out. Love makes a way. Take little Kevin in the original Home Alone. You remember that story, right? He's separated from everybody physically, but he's also separated emotionally. He feels like his family doesn't love him. He, he feels like he has been left out. But by the end, through a series of very bizarre events, he defeats the wet bandits. And he eventually realizes he loves his family. Even Buzz his sometimes bullying older brother, and yes, even his crazy cousin who wets the bed. Love made a way. You see, there's a reason that this is kind of woven into every Christmas story. The story of the Scrooge, the story of the Grinch, the story of the Buddy, the Elf, and even, yes, John McClane. Christmas is all about love making a way. Why? Because when we were separated from God because of our sin, God sent his only son, Jesus, as an act of love. And love made a way for us. I want you to hear that this Christmas. That's the essence of the Christmas message. God loves you. I want you to personalize that. I want you to say, God loves me. Let's say that. God loves me. Yes, he does. I want you to pray with me. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, help us understand, help us experience, help us then live out your love like never before, giving us what we need that we don't have, teaching us new things and making us different because we've encountered you, Jesus. And so, Lord, let my words be your words and my thoughts yours, even as I speak in these next few minutes. In the name of Jesus, amen. We've been journeying through this little book at the end of the Bible. It's called 1 John. It was written by one of Jesus' disciples named John. He's about 90 years old by now. He's writing to encourage fellow followers of Jesus Christ. His message is pretty simple. This world is not your home. 
But if you're a follower of Christ, you're heading home. And so we've been walking through chapter by chapter as he says, head home with joy, head home with peace, head home with hope. And today we're going to see that he says, head home with love. Love is the theme. He uses that word love about 30 times in this little book that just has five chapters. And about half of those times are here in chapter 4 in these few verses we're going to read right now. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Dear friends... Let us love one another. In the Greek language there, he literally says, Beloved, let us love. It's the same word. You who love, let's keep loving. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Say that phrase. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Oh, friends, that is the Word of God. Let it bless your heart and mind this Christmas Eve. What does it teach us about love? First of all, it teaches us that God loves us. Say that with me. God loves me. God loves me. Yes, he does. That's the message of this. When we were separated from God because of our sin, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, and as an act of love, he made a way for us. Now, there's a lot of confusion about what love is. For example, in the movies, there's a lot of confusion. But just take the movies of which there are about a million, Hallmark movies. What is love in a Hallmark movie? This lady moves to the big city. She tries to find love. She fails. So she goes back home to her small town. And what does she find? A handsome doctor. And she falls in love. Every Hallmark movie, it's exactly the same. Is that love? Let's answer that. No, that is not love. Somebody said yes. <laughs> what about music? Do we find love from music? Is it what Taylor Swift says? A love story, you'll be the prince and I'll be the princess. It's a love story, baby. Just say, some of you know too much Taylor Swift. <laughs> or what about the 90s? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. <laughs> or the 80s, it's Def Leppard. And what did we learn about love? Love bites, actually. I'm glad you didn't know that one. But how about the 70s from the Beatles? All you need is love. Or you can go back to Elvis in the 60s. Can't help falling in love. No, I don't think we find love from music. So what is love? If you heard, this is the phrase. This is where in the Bible we find that phrase that's repeated, even by those that have never walked in a church. God is love. Notice what it doesn't say. Love is God. That's how some people think today, that love is God, and you've got to love everybody in all the same ways and accept how they live and just bring them in regardless of what they do. That's not what this says, nor does it say that God is loving, though he is. 
Love is not just an action that God does, and it's not just one of his many attributes. Love is the essence of God. Like fire is heat, like water is wet, God is love. So what kind of love is that? I thought you'd never ask. He talks about three things that we can see in the love of God. Here's the first one. Love always initiates Love always initiates. That means love always goes first. That's what God did. He loved you before you ever loved him. I've told you repeatedly already, but God loves you. And there's nothing you could do that would make him love you less. There's nothing you could do that would make him love you more. That's what it says in verse 7. Dear friends, beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Love comes from God. God has always gone first. We see this in the creation because it says, in the beginning, God. God created all that is. And then out of love, he created mankind. And then out of love, he gave great gifts to mankind. But then mankind sinned. Our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, they fell short. Sin entered the world. But God still loved. God made a way. And all through the Old Testament, we see through the sacrificial system, through the giving of laws, through the giving of kings, through all the stories, we see the preparation for Jesus, the one who would come and be that permanent way that God made in love to deal with that problem of sin. Because love is the opposite of sin. Sin covers up. Remember what the Garden of Eden took place? Adam and Eve sinned, and what's the first thing they did? They covered themselves because sin covers. What's the second thing they did? They hid because sin hides. That's what sin does. Religion is just our effort to cover things. Rebellion is our effort to hide from things. Neither of those are love. But God is love. He initiates love. He chooses us before we choose him. If you're married or you have a love in your life, then you've probably had this argument. Who loved first? Who caught the bug first? Maybe when you began to date and you would talk on the phone back in the day, you would be afraid to hang up first because there was always something about being first. There's no argument here. God was first. He loves us, and he loves us first. Say this with me. Say, God loves me. me. Yes, he does. Love initiates, but there's a second thing I want you to see. Love, Love activates. Love is active. It's not just a feeling. It's an action, a decision of the will. Look at verse 9. This is how God, what? Showed his love among us. Love shows others that it loves And it does this by being active. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is a parallel verse to John 3, 16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God shows us he loves us. God gave because he loves us. Most of us think of love as a feeling that we feel when we feel a feeling we've never felt before. But love's more than a feeling. Love does. John Mark Comer wrote, at its root, feelings are selfish. Behind all the lovey-dovey feelings is a narcissist hiding in the closet. 
When I say I love you, it could often mean when I'm around you, I feel happy. You make me feel better about me. You don't believe that. Just think about your pet dog. Raise your hand if you have a dog. Let me see those hands. Now you, especially you men, we like to think our dog loves us. We walk in the house and our dog gets excited. You walk around and maybe your dog follows you around. But you know what I figured out about my little dog, Frosty? He's an old man now. About 110 dog years old. He doesn't love me. He loves the way I make him feel about him. He loves it when I give him a treat. He loves it when I let him out the front door. He loves it when I rub his belly. That's how some of you think about love. You love and you feel love based on feelings, but love is an action. God showed his love. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. God showed you he loved you. God loves you. Say, God loves me. Yes, he does. Love initiates, love activates. But let me give you that last thing. Love always alleviates. Love alleviates. What does love do? It takes away the burden. That's what alleviate means, to take away that which is weighing us down. So last night, our family went out. We took a family picture at the beach, and then we had a big family dinner, and then we came back, and it was time to go to bed, but I noticed there were some things kind of messy in the kitchen. So I cleaned out the dishwasher, and I uh, emptied the dirty things that were in the sink and got them in the dishwasher. Now, I'm not bragging because I don't do that often enough. But you know what happened after I did that? Not why I did it, but if after a couple of minutes, my wife walked by. I didn't even know she knew what had happened. But she said, thank you for doing that. That meant a lot. Why did she say that? Because I took a burden off of her. I took away something that she does all the time, taking care of everybody else. I alleviated a problem that would have been there that she felt like she needed to fix. So I want you to think again about what love does. It alleviates our burden. Here's the question. What's weighing us down? It's called sin. It's anything we do that God says don't do. It's anything we don't do that God says do. And the Bible says that all of us are weighed down by the burden of sin. Literally, in the book of Romans, we learn the Apostle Paul says, it's like you're carrying around a whole extra dead body because you've got this burden of sin in your life and it, it weighs you down. That's why in the book of Isaiah, the Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he took on, God put on him the burden of the sins of us all. It's much more of a problem than dirty dishes. And every one of us are sinners. When I was growing up, um, there was a commercial for Dr. Pepper. Do y'all remember that? It, it went kind of like this. I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper, we're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Yeah. And you know, when I think about that song, I think about Romans 3, 23 that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. He's a sinner. She's a sinner. Sorry, Miss Barbara. 
We're, we're all sinners. And we've fallen short of God's design. And there's this heavy burden. But what God did at Christmas is he came down. He became one of us. And he took on that burden of sin in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, like most other words, this word alleviate doesn't accurately describe all that God does for us. You could say Jesus eliminates because love eliminates the burden. You could say Jesus annihilates because love annihilated the burden. You could say Jesus propitiates because Jesus became the propitiation for our burden. So listen to that again. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In some translations, that even uses that word propitiation. A word that a lot of us don't say in our regular language, even though we go to Starbucks and we order a triple venti skinny oat milk latte da di da da or whatever. <laughs> Propitiation, what does that mean? It means that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God when he died on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the payment that satisfied, and that's a big deal because... Thanks to Jesus, you can trust him, and God will never be dissatisfied with you. Did you hear that? That's a good Christmas gift. Thanks to Jesus, when you trust him, God will never be dissatisfied with you. He became that atoning sacrifice. That means he's a sacrificial lamb that died for our sin. He took which was, that which was wrong between us and God. And he made it right. He alleviated it. He annihilated it. He eliminated it. Whatever you want to say, it's gone. We who were separated from God can now be at one with God, atoned with God because of Jesus. He alleviated the problem. So this Christmas, I just, I need to remind you, don't forget your problem. We are not mistakers in need of a life coach we are a sinner who need a savior. Alistair Begg says, until we face the reality of the problem, the necessity of the cure seems inconsequential. Until you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior, you'll miss the whole purpose for Christmas and the reality of the life that Jesus lived and the celebration that comes at Easter when you realize he's alive today. You see, God did everything necessary to show you how much he loves you. God loves you. I want you to say, God loves me. Yes, he does. And that's why Christmas is so important to us. Christmas reminds us that love was initiated by God through Jesus. Christmas reminds us that love was activated by God in the person of Jesus. And Christmas reminds us that in Jesus, in Christ, love alleviated the problem of sin in our life. So my prayer for you is that you've experienced the love of God this Christmas because God is love and God loves you. Would you say God loves me? Yes, he does. So how do we apply that in our daily lives? We give love a try. Say, give love a try. Look at 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Why do we like the story 
of Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger so much? Why does it send those goosebumps down our arm when we see little children pretending to, to be Mary and Joseph and we see that little fake baby doll as baby Jesus? Or when we watch a big pageant and we see it performed with, with regality? Well, why is that so special to us? I think it's because when we see Jesus in a manger, or if we can envision Jesus in the cross, we visualize, we, we think of seeing Jesus. But here's the problem. We get into trouble because we don't see God like that. We don't have the opportunity like John to see Jesus face to face, to walk and talk with him for three years. But did you see what this verse says? If you follow Jesus, that's most of us who are in this place. We profess to follow Christ. If you follow Jesus, God lives in you. God lives in us. You understand that? When we truly understand the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ, when we truly believe that love made a, a way through Jesus, when we, when we yield our lives and surrender to Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, the infant in the manger, the man on the cross, that God lives in us. And then it says, this is a punchline, so when people see us, they see God. We don't love others so that God will accept us. But because Jesus made us acceptable through his finished work on the cross of Calvary, we must love. So church, this Christmas Eve, I ask you, will you give love a try? Will you look around your little corner of the world and see how you can love like God? As a church, we do this on a regular basis. We demonstrate our love for Jesus. Do you know at least 235 people this year began a relationship with Jesus Christ through the ministry of Mission Hill? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Many of them walked through the waters of believers' baptism. We demonstrate our love for the city. Do you know that we educate 192 preschoolers in our two schools? 130 people from our community come here to study English. We have fed over 9,000 children in 14,000 school, I mean 14 schools across our community. That's demonstrating the love of God. We demonstrate our love for the nations. Do you know through your giving as a church, you support more than 3,600 missionaries all around the world? And you, you in this place, have gone to five different nations sharing the message of Jesus Christ this year. And by the way, every time we gather, there's about 70 nations represented for the glory of God. And then we demonstrate love. We demonstrate love to the least of these. This year, you've served more than 14,000 hot meals on a weekly basis. You've ministered to about 3,000 people through our food pantry. And every week, people like you connect with about 250 homeless individuals on the streets. I just have to say, way to go, Mission Hill. You have given love a try. You see, when you love like Jesus, you demonstrate love in tangible ways. No strings attached. So I ask you again, are you loving like Jesus? 
Are you demonstrating his love wherever you go, every day, in tangible ways, no strings attached? If your version of Christianity does not stir up love for other people, you're doing it wrong. And you need to make some adjustments. I'm now a middle-aged man, and I've lived enough life to say this. The best I can tell, the people that truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ love the most. And we don't see that a lot in our society. We tend to see extremes. We see folks who focus on truth, and we see folks who focus on grace. Folks that focus on truth, man, they'll get fighting mad if they feel like you're violating the truth. But I can tell you some of the most truth-oriented people I've met are some of the meanest people I've ever seen. And then you got folks on the other side. Hey, we've got to be gracious because Jesus is gracious. And and, and so they're focused completely, 100% on grace. And they just ignore things that are wrong in this world. And I just need you to know because of sin, what we've just talked about, there's a lot that's wrong in this world. And we can't ignore it. The Jesus who came, the Bible says he was 100% representation of truth and grace. The first chapter of John, it says he was full of truth and grace. So here's the deal. We've got to love like Jesus. Why? Because you may be the only Jesus that some will ever see. John was saying the world sees God. When they see us love well. So would you be willing to love like God loved you this Christmas season? Three questions and then we're done. Number one, how or where do you need to initiate love? Where in your little corner of the world do you need to be the one to love first? To forgive first? To pick up the phone and call first. How or where do you need to initiate with love? How or where do you need to activate love? What do you need to do because love does? I've seen these bumper stickers and they make me really sad. Not only because I probably disagree with a lot of the things the people that have these bumper stickers think. But just listen to what I'm about to say. You may have seen these bumper stickers that say, coexist. I want to do more than coexist. I want to do more than just tolerate somebody else. I want to love well. I want to love like Jesus so that when people see me, they see and do and know the love of God. Tolerating or coexisting is not the ultimate value. We're called to love like Jesus. So what do you do? What do you need to do to demonstrate the love of God in a tangible way? No strings attached in your little corner of the world. By the way, that's not the job of the church. That's the job of you. God has a special calling in your life. There's something he created you to do that only you can do the way you can do it. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he expects you to be out there meeting needs and healing hurt and speaking his truth every day wherever you are. Number three, how or where do you need to alleviate with love? Now, we can't eliminate sin. We don't have that power. That's why Jesus had to do it. But there's some things we can let go of. 
Do you love only the people that are like you? Or only the people that make you feel a special way like my dog Frosty? Are you holding on to a burden or bitterness? It's a good day to remind you that bitterness is that poison we drink while we wait for someone else to die. Maybe today you just need to let go. But remember the big idea. When, we're, when we were separated from God because of our sin, God sent his only son, Jesus. And as an act of love, he made a way for us. Oh, this thing. You, you've probably noticed this fire behind me the whole time. Um, just a quick confession. It's not real. But that's kind of the best we can do here in Florida, right? It's Christmas Day, and what? It's 75 degrees. I mean, give me a break. I mean, most of us don't have fireplaces in our homes. We do in our house, and I've had the wood in it. All I've got to do is throw a match to it for like months, and I just haven't had the chance. Usually, we just have to settle for the uh, fireplace channel on the TV. There's a problem with this, though. It looks good. But it, it doesn't do what fire is supposed to do. Remember, fire is heat. Like water is wet. Like God is love. And a fake fire doesn't put out heat. And a fake Christian doesn't show love. The verses we looked at today tell us what followers of Christ are supposed to do. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, love is from God the way heat is from fire. Fire gives heat because it is heat. We love because God is love. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God lives in you. Start loving like him. So what adjustments do you need to make? You need to initiate love somewhere. You need to activate love over here. You need to alleviate or let go so that you can love like God. But some of us need to ask this question. If you're not loving like this, you may have a fake fire burning inside. You, you may not be the real thing. You see, the real fire, like that wood in my fireplace, it has to begin with a spark. And there has to be a beginning point in your life where you understand that burden of sin and that it separated you from God. You believe that God sent his son into this world to be the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And you trust Jesus to alleviate that burden of sin. And if you've never taken that step, 
That's what I ask you to do this Christmas. A few verses down in 1 John 4, we find these words. And so we know and rely on the love of God that he has for us. Do you know and are you relying on that love of God? If not, why not today? Remember, when we were separated from God because of our sin, God sent his only son, Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But he came as an act of love. He lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross to alleviate the burden. And love made a way for us. Let's bow our heads together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to just encourage you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, just go through that quick checklist. Are there some adjustments that you need to make so that love can make a way through you into the lives of the people in your little corner of the world? What do you need to initiate? What do you need to activate? What do you need to alleviate? But this is Christmas Eve. Let's be real. There's some of us here that have never fully understood what you've said several times. That God loves you. And that out of his great love, he made a way for you. And if that's you, I want to invite you to receive the greatest gift you could ever receive this Christmas. And that's the gift of Jesus Christ. See, all you got to do is acknowledge that you are a sinner. That you've got that burden. You believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and died on a cruel cross as the punishment for your sin. You accept that he's alive today and you turn to him and trust him for the rest of your life. And as you do that, you become a child of God. And you too could say what we learned last week. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. If you've never taken that step, you can talk to God anytime, anywhere. But you can do that here now. And there's no magic prayer But there are some words that I'd love to lead you in. And if you've never taken that step, maybe you'd pray that prayer today and begin this relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Maybe you would just say, Dear Jesus, just you and him, say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for my sins. That's why you came. I know you love me I know you forgive me I'm ready to follow you come into my life take control I want to follow you for the rest of my life thank you Jesus for loving Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'm asking that our heads stay bowed and our eyes stay closed, but I just want to celebrate with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not coming to nobody or will draw attention to you. It's just me and you. But if you just prayed that prayer with me around this room, would you just lift your hand up so I can welcome you to God's family? 
Welcome to God's family, sir. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Over to my left here. Welcome to God's family. All around, welcome to God's family. It's the most important thing you could ever do. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you today because you're changing lives. As you've done throughout history, you're doing here today. And we give you praise and honor and glory for this. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Would you give God praise for lives that have been changed here today? Praise the Lord. Hey, this is what I want you to do. Would everybody take this card that was in your seat? Just put it in your hand. Just hold it up. Put it in your hand for me. Looks just like this. Take this card. Because this is a survey. And on Christmas Eve, we want to make sure everybody fills out this survey. Now, you've probably already filled out the front. But on the back, there are four letters. Everybody can circle one of these letters. For example, if I were sitting here, I would circle that first letter, the letter A, because it says I already became a follower of Christ, all right? So if that's you, if you're already a follower of Christ, just circle that for us, and you might have a prayer request that you put there at the bottom of the card. B, maybe you're a follower of Christ, but you saw these five individuals that walked to the water of believers' baptism. Wasn't that exciting? Maybe you need to follow Christ in believers' baptism. Circle the letter B. Maybe you became a follower of Christ about three minutes ago. Maybe you prayed with me. A bunch of you raised your hand and you became a follower of Jesus Christ. Circle that letter C. That lets us know that you became a follower of Christ. Maybe you, you just want to know more about Mission Hill. You want to discover more. Circle the letter D and that'll let us know, okay? So I want you to take this card. There are about three things you can do. You can leave it in your seat. You can Put it in one of the giving boxes. They're gray giving boxes at every door in this room. Or you, if it's your first time here, here's what I'd like you to do. We've got a gift for you. Not because it's Christmas, just because you're you. We want you to take this card to the table at the back. It says new here, and we're going to exchange this for a gift. And you can walk away with something you didn't expect today. That would be a big help. We ask everybody to do that every time. Now, I mentioned those giving boxes. Every service that we worship, we have opportunities to give. And we encourage people who are members or regular of our, attenders of our church to give on a regular basis. There are a lot of different ways you can do that. You can text it in. You can go through our app. Some people schedule that with the bank. You can put it in one of the giving boxes. We don't pass a plate. But during December, we're encouraging everybody to participate in what we're calling the 813 initiative. We live in the 813. And as a church, we believe God is calling us to reach the 813. This whole region of Tampa. And your giving encourages us to begin to do that. So we encourage people to give, whether it's $8.13, $81.30, $813, or you could keep going up the scale. Just use those numbers. That's just one creative way we're encouraging people uh, to give in the service. Now, I, I want to uh, remind you, our 4 o'clock Christmas Eve service is going to be just like this one. I'd love for you to come back, or maybe you'd love to come back and serve. But it's going to be just like this one. We do have a completely different service at 11 p.m. It'll be in this room. And we'll also take communion at that service. It's a little more somber service where we're just reflecting on what Christmas means. Same theme of love, but we'll take communion. The songs will be a little different. And uh, we'll worship the Lord at 11 p.m. And, and welcome to Christmas. Now, it's Christmas Eve. I told my wife as we were driving home last night, I said, it's weird with Christmas Eve on Sunday. I forgot where I usually am every Christmas Eve because I'm usually out in the hustle and the bustle trying to get some last minute stuff. I can't do that today. I'm kind of busy. 
and maybe you're busy, we've got opportunities for you. If you want to do some last-minute gift giving, this is a devotional. We'll make it available every year. There's a table in the atrium. Some are wrapped. That's all I need to say about that. The proceeds from this goes to help support ministry to pastors around the world as we go to encourage them in different countries and even here in our region. We're going to be back together on New Year's Eve. You got a card on your seat about that, as well as a special service that's becoming an annual tradition the following week, which is called Come Before Winter, just to focus us as we start a a new year together. And, And that's going to be a great time. All right? Here's what I want you to do. This has been a special time. You're filling out that card. I want you just to stand and to worship with us. This is not the end. We're going to come back and end in a traditional way. But just breathe in what we've learned and let's celebrate this truth that love came down at Christmas. Let's worship together.